We'll turn into Mark chapter 3 again this morning. Turn or tap, we like to say, because you might have your device. And I thought I would just press into this passage that often gets overlooked and sidestepped uh, because it seems to interrupt the narrative a little bit, especially with Mark's kind of urgent message that he's proclaiming. It's the naming of the 12 apostles in Mark 3, 13 through 21. A quick recap, Jesus had, has been confronting the Pharisees, or maybe better, better described, uh, responding to their confrontations, and then he does not get deterred in his primary mission to see the kingdom expand, the upside-down kingdom that he came to bring. So in the very next passage, we'll skip over that one a little bit because it's just more of the same, and I think Mark is reminding us of his primary mission. He didn't come to confront the Pharisees or to, 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 to turn a religious system around. He came to establish a new kingdom. And to do that meant to minister to the, the last and the least, the, the poor and the marginalized. So he's once again ministering to the hurting and the needy, the sick and the distressed and the oppressed as he continues to drive out uh, those that were the demons and those that were oppressed, he heals. So that's the, the first part of the passage of Mark chapter 3, just before the naming of the disciples. Now, it's, it's probably at this very moment, this very occasion, that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. That's the kind of the best scholarship to kind of line up the stories and see where that happens as recorded by Matthew. Uh, Mark doesn't record that. It seems that he stays on message and, and shows us more what Jesus did Less what he taught. Certainly we have much of Jesus' words, but we don't have these extended messages or sermons in Mark. He has that urgent message, which we, we see from the repeated use of immediately, immediately. We see from kind of a, a lack of details that we, we find in the other gospel accounts and the fast pace that we definitely see Jesus at work in. It's possible that Jesus had many disciples, dozens at this point, who would follow him even for days at a time. Same with him, listening to him, learning from him, because we, we'll, we'll see later he sends out 72. So there were many that were close enough to respond to him, to become believers in his ways, believing it, coming to believe in him as the Messiah. But it's only these 12 that he calls to himself names apostles. He gives them new names, apostles. It's only these 12. Now, we're maybe familiar with the term apostle, but we should, or only familiar with it from Scripture. It is the, it's a Greek transliteration. It's not a translation. We have some words that we, we transliterate. We don't, we don't say, well, I think, it, I think that Greek word means this English word. We just take the Greek letters and best turn them into English letters. So the Greek for apostle is apostolase. We have apostle. So we haven't tried to translate. We've said, here's what it says in the Scripture. Here's what it, it is now in English. The word angel, the English word angel is the Greek word angelos. So just a transliteration. Not all words are like that. Uh, a synonym in our English would probably be like ambassador. Because apostle was literally a sent one, a sent out one. And that's what Jesus, that's the name that Jesus gives to these 12. He sends them out with his authority. Uh, they've been close to him. Now he's receiving, they're receiving his authority to go and do the work he's been doing. And it happens really fast in the story, in the timeline. If, we were, if, if I were to say to you, or someone were to say to me, uh, when I had just started following Jesus, that I was going to go do these kinds of things, I would have felt totally ill-equipped within just a handful of months at this time, maybe a year. 
to say, now you're going to go and do these same things you've seen me doing. Can you imagine what they would have been feeling? But he gives them their authority. So here we have the naming of the disciples as apostles, but also their actual names listed, recorded for us for all history to see. Verse 13, Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed the twelve. He named them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach, to have authority, and to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip, kind of a letdown after, you know, for Andrew and Philip, like, oh. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. What we see, if we compare to the other two lists we see in Matthew 10 and Luke 6, also a naming of these 12, they're not identical, which always gives me hope when I see things that could have been cleaned up by some later scribe or translator. Hey, those aren't the same. Let's, stra- let's straighten that out so no one thinks we're confused. They, it, they just leave it as is for us. Really, some of the only similarities are that Peter is named first and that Judas is named last, and we may understand why as we read the rest of the story. But they have... The differences in the names is evident if you read through those lists and through the rest of the story. And so just for fun, I thought we would explore that. I do have a point. Some of you just like this stuff and like, oh, good, we're going to learn something about names and others are checking your phone already. So you can pretend on your phone, by the way, that you're looking up notes and history and check, you know, check. I, I get it. I'm with you. So some we see have two names if you look at the, the, the list. Some or a few have nicknames, and then, a, and then two at least get new names. I'll make the argument that they all got new names, but in this list we see two get new names from Jesus. So let's start with the two names. At least three of the twelve went by two names. Bartholomew is believed to be the very same Nathaniel who we meet in John chapter 1, which would explain why Nathaniel just kind of drops off the map after having a significant encounter with Jesus and beginning to follow him with his friends right from the beginning. Bartholomew likely is a, a, a surname, and so he's interchangeably both names are used. Now, so the, the scriptures do leave a little bit of mystery to this, and you have to read into some of the church history and accounts to try to piece this together. So we do hold it with, with open hands. And ultimately, that won't make a difference if we're a little bit wrong on the exact identity of each one. But this is maybe the best scholarship that's out there. Judas Iscariot also had two names. The word Iscariot, that's not his last name. Surnames were different then than they are now that we needed descriptors to know which one we were talking about. Judas was a common name. Iscariot simply means the man from Kerioth, Iscarioth. He's the Judas from Kerioth. Kerioth was a town in south Judea, south of Jerusalem. He's actually maybe the only one from the greater region of Judea. So maybe from the beginning was a little bit of an outsider. Hard to know, reading into that. But because there was another Judas already in the the list, and Judas was a common name, they may have simply called him Kerioth or Iscariot, just as a, a, a descriptor, or may even had a nickname from that term to call him. So the other Judas is also Thaddeus. Thaddeus is the Judas son of James listed by Luke. Now he may have gone interchangeably by both of those names. Thaddeus could be also a descriptor, meaning the soulful one or the courageous one. 
It could have been like a surname too, just to distinguish again, because Judas was a common name. So which one do you mean? Oh, Thaddeus, that one. So Thaddeus is listed here. That leads me to nicknames. So though we see at least from the beginning, a few of these guys have two names, multiple names interchanged. Leads me to nicknames. At least four have clear nicknames. Right here we see James and John, nicknamed Boanerges, together the sons of thunder. So James the thunder or John the thunder. Now we, we can only really speculate why. We're never told. It's almost like this inside joke, which I think probably did happen. If you think they didn't have a sense of humor together, uh, and maybe even a crude one at times, uh, you're not understanding the culture and the context and who these people, these real people were that Jesus called to himself and empowered to change the world. The sons of thunder. Some have speculated that it had just simply to do with their voice. These two brothers just had deep voices and that's it. And so they're the thunderous ones. It could have been their personality that they were forceful men. It could have been something about their quick temper. Who knows? We're not told. But Jesus calls them the sons of thunder. So that means there's something positive to that. He's not mocking them by, in any ways. In fact, I think he's, he's giving them their, their new identity in who they will be. That's what he gives when he gives new names. It's who you will become, who I am making you to be. There's a transition that happens and names are so powerful and important to who our character and our identity is. So there's James and John. Simon the Zealot. Luke says in Luke 6, he was called the Zealot. It's the Greek word kanonian. And some have been confused thinking that that means he was a Canaanite from the region of Canaan. But it's, it's likely the Hebrew kana, which means zealot. And that's what they call him. He's the zealot one, the zealous. Now, some have also said, well, there was a religious sect of extremists and nationalists that were called the Jewish zealots. And so Simon must have been a part of them. Ironically, we don't know anything else about this, about this Simon. It, it, we're just told he was a, zeal, a, zeal, a zealous one. At minimum, we, we can say he had an extreme personality. And I think it's worth pausing and just reflecting on that. Jesus called to himself a man with an extreme personality. And he, he, he commissioned this one. Apparently, if you have an extreme personality, you can still follow Jesus and even be used and needed. Now, my, I'm, I'm assuming if he had an extreme personality that he learned some self-control with Jesus because we have no stories about him. Wouldn't we have some? They call him the zealous one. It seems like pretty consistently. So he, there's his nickname. James, the son of Alphaeus. James also is a, was a common name at the time as it is today. In Mark 1540, he's called James the Younger. At least that's how the ESV translates the word micros. James the micros. The, the younger? Uh, there's some nuance there. It, likely, if you have like the King James or another translation, they call him James the Less, which also is strange. It actually, I mean, micro, you know micro, where we get our word micro. Tiny, small, little. It had more to do with stature so James, the small one, I, when I ponder this and think about it, that may be true. Maybe he was, but these guys loved each other and were friends. And not that we can't have those kinds of nicknames for each other. I wonder if he was the biggest of all of them. And they called him James, the little one. Just because I just think that's their kind of personality. Well, we may do something like that today. Hey, Peter, make sure you take Tiny along. You know, I just kind of get that feel. But he has a nickname. The, the less, the younger, the small one. And finally, Thomas has a very clear nickname in the Gospel of John. Three times it says they called him Didymus, the twin. 
And many have speculated that he was a twin, that he had a twin. Maybe one of the other disciples was his actual twin, and we're just not told. Again, just pondering and wondering. I think he really just looked so similar to someone else that they called him the twin. I wonder if he looked so similar to Jesus that they called him the twin. Because from a distance, we kept seeing Thomas, and it looked like, it looked like Jesus. They were calling him twin. This is a feel that I get when I just ponder on the relationship these men had and had with Jesus. It's ironic, by the way, that we now have a a different nickname for Thomas, right? Thomas, the doubter, the doubting one. If that's true, if he was called the twin because he so resembled physically Jesus throughout all history to be known as the doubting one, when for three years he was called the one most like Jesus, can you imagine Jesus wouldn't see him that way. He restores him. He pours out his grace upon him. But it would be, it's a, it's a sobering thought. So I'd like to keep calling him the twin. Maybe we'll restore that honor that was given to him. And I could be totally wrong. Maybe he actually was a, an actual twin with one of the other disciples. It's possible that each of these men had endearing type nicknames. You live that close to other, other guys or other friends, and you just, this just happens. It reminds me of my baseball team, my high school baseball team. None of us called each other by our first name, not one. And, and rarely were we called just by our last name. I had a few nicknames. I'm not going to tell them to you. If, if you can't be creative and come up with something from my name, then you're not even trying prize if you can come up with one that I haven't heard. So I had a few nicknames and so did everyone else on the team. And it was, it was meant to be an endearing. And we knew exactly who we meant because a lot of us did have different shared names. There'd be multiple of the same name on our team. So of the 12 disciples, most either had two names or nicknames, but two got new names. Simon became Peter, the rock. And, Matt, and Levi becomes Matthew. Levi, with the heritage of the priest, becomes Matthew, the gift of God, probably the receiver of the gift of God, because God, Jesus, calls him out of a place of being like a traitor to the Jewish people as a tax collector and calls him to himself to empower him. He pours out his grace. Names are so significant, and we're much more so in that culture. Oftentimes, you would be given a name well after birth because you needed to see at least something about the personality or the character before getting a name, unless it was some sense of prophetic word that would indicate their identity and who they would become. We think of the ancient story of Jacob becoming Israel at a transition moment, empowering who he would become. The old is gone, the new has come. And that seems to be what happens to everyone who draws near to Jesus. They are given a new name. All 12 of these men get the name apostle. He called them to himself and he named them apostoles, the sent ones. So even despite all the nicknames and other terms they would have used, they get a new name from Jesus, which indicates a new identity. By the way, at this very moment, I think it would be hard to say that Peter was a rock. He was unwavering at best. It's hard to say that James and John were sons of thunder. I think that was a a descriptor of what was coming later for them, who they would become and who they're remembered as. Because to this point, those three men were just recently fishermen and might have even still smelled like fish guts. None of the disciples now named apostles were were 100% sure of what they believed about Jesus. Is that not amazing? They were, the best we could say, they were coming to believe in Jesus. 
And yet he sees them, calls them, and names them and says, you will change the world. And you've got to imagine they're looking at each other, shaking their heads. He calls them, names them, and gives to some new names or nicknames. And that's the point. For up to this point, if at best that was interesting, but that has no impact in our lives. So don't miss this. No names get new names. And we can resonate with that. None of these men were the religious elites, the smartest, the wisest, the most gifted, and that's exactly the point. And we don't know much or anything about them up until they meet Jesus and are called and sent by him. And even after, we know very little, except that they ultimately changed the world. It's how we could be sitting outdoors in 42-degree weather on the last Sunday in January, just outside of Redmond, Washington, 2,000 years later. No names get new names because of Jesus and can change the world. Furthermore, I think we see that the leaders of the early church, these first followers, we've got to be encouraged by the diversity amongst them, at least in personality. And Jesus wanted them all. They made the 12, they made his team, they represented what he was and what he wanted to be for the world. I think how powerfully they come together that nothing could shake them. Even Judas who betrays and was divisive and inspired by Satan himself could not break them ultimately. And I think the only thing that we could say is that the the resurrection is what galvanized that call. Because even up to the crucifixion, they all scattered. They're still wondering who this Jesus is and fearing for their own lives. And yet a few weeks after that, they truly bear the name apostle and start to be sent ones proclaiming Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as King, at risk of their own life. And church history tells us that every one of the 11 was at least attempted to be murdered, died for their faith. Maybe John survived it. They all were willing to go and to give their lives. And I believe it was because they witnessed the resurrection. Let's bring this forward. This reminds me of a much more recent example, but still one 130 years ago or so. When the founder of the Alliance Movement, A.B. Simpson, left the Presbyterian Church because they said, stop bringing in the immigrants into our congregation. They're messy. They don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't behave like us. And we are a proper church. He said, then you can have your proper church. I am called to the least and the last and the immigrants and the migrants. And he would preach on the docks. And he was so stirred by this that he, he invited his friends to come with him and to pray one cold, wet November evening in New York City. And he didn't expect it to be a big group, but thought there might be a, a couple dozen people that would join him in this call to pray for the, the last and the least, the immigrants coming to the shores and really to the ends of the earth. Guess how many showed up? Six. You ever throw a party and expect a whole bunch to come and like six come or none come or two or, and you get that feel. And you know what they prayed that night? They did pray for the immigrants and the, uh, the migrant workers and the refugees and, and the lost to the ends of the earth, especially A.B. Simpson had a burden for the people of China. But they also prayed, they said, thank you, Lord, that, that we are few and that we are weak because if anything comes from these prayers, then you have all the glory because it's not us. And they said, thank you, God, for that. And that began a movement that isn't massive in the scope of world movements. And yet today has 13 million followers of Jesus internationally. 
We are only half a, mil, uh, uh, half a million or so in the United States, but nearly 13 internationally. And most of them have come to follow Jesus because missionaries, Alliance missionaries, have taken on the name apostle, become sent ones to go and represent Jesus to the ends of the earth from a group of six to see that kind of world-changing movement, at least in the lives of those And to be sitting here today, a part of that same family, and that brings it to us. We who are relative no-names. And our name can certainly fade from history, and we hope it does. But that the name of Jesus endures forever. That we can say, that we few who gather outside in these tents can pray that very same prayer. God, thank you that we are few and and we are weak. Because if if there's any impact for your kingdom in this city, in this region, and unto the ends of the earth, then it's you who get all of the glory. May it be, Lord. Because we who are no names have been given new names. We've been renamed in our identity in you. We are called to be sent ones, maybe not across oceans, but across streets and across towns. We bear his name and get to proclaim the famous name of Jesus of Nazareth, the one who is just as famous today as he ever has been. Other terms might fade away, and may they be, but may the name of Jesus endure forever, and may we represent him as his people. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are the giver of names, and whatever name we go by, whatever names we've been called, whether endearing or hurtful, no matter who we are or aren't, what our background is, our history, our heritage, our personality, You see us, you have called us, you are calling us. And ultimately, each one of us is walking towards you. Maybe at a different pace or a different place in the journey. But we are still like these disciples were coming to believe in you more fully. Help us with our unbelief. You've chosen to let us bear your name to represent you. You did not need us. You did not need to go. You can make all things right with your presence here on earth, and that's a hope that we cling to. And yet for now, you've left us to be your apostoles, to be your sent ones. And may all of our collective names and even the name of Union Hill Church fade away throughout history, but the name of Jesus endure forever, we pray. Amen.